Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. You can see how fancy I'm getting today with my whiteboard here. Hopefully you can sort of see it over there. Um, I want to talk to you this morning, uh, continue on talking about faith this morning. Um, but what I want to talk about is, is this. So Jesus or God gives us a promise, right? And then there's the fulfillment to the promise. But how many of you know that there's a gap, there's a space between when he promises something and when he fulfills it, right? There's this space in between there. And you know, we would love it if it was like promise fulfillment, you know, or like promise and then you take a couple steps, fulfillment. But how many of you realize that's not how it normally works? Normally, there's this process that we have to go through when Jesus says something, when the Father says something, and then when he does it. There's, there's a gap, there's a space. And so I, I actually planned on talking about this early on this week. And uh, then one of my friends shared this video uh, of a pastor there at the ramp named Casey Doss. He's now a pastor of a church in Tennessee, but he taught, he was talking about this very thing. And, and I don't, I don't think I could do nearly as good of a job explaining this gap as he did. So I want to show you this quick video, this little two minute clip of this, uh, of this message from Casey Doss. So go to watch the screen here. Now you see my beautiful, stunning diagram. Let me make one thing clear to you. The journey in the gap. Does not look like this. The journey in the gap for real don't look like this. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Can I show you what it really looks like? I got a word. Oh my God. Jesus. Oh my God. I quit. I quit. No, I can't quit. Oh God. Oh God. Jesus, where are you? I'm going to serve him all the days of my life. No, I can't do this. Now in psychology, this is called bipolar disorder. In the Bible, it's called walking with God. You know what? He never spoke to me to begin with. <laughs> Hath God really said? Oh, God. <laughs> You're reading the Psalms. Where art thou, my God? My God. Why have you forsaken me? Just between me and you, this is kind of what it looks like. Like a drunk man trying to drive in a straight line. Isn't it the truth? 
Now, isn't you it see the my truth? beautiful man? There's there's a gap between when he says it and when it actually happens. And again, that gap uh, can be three days. It can be 300 years, and we're going to look at that here in a second. And we never know where we're at in between the promise and when it's going to happen. And uh, we, we, we don't ever know where we're at. We could be almost there. We could be years and years away from it. But there's this gap there that we have to walk through. Let me show you what that looks like in Scripture. Let me give you a couple stories. I'm going to use Casey's amazing diagram and, and do kind of what he did, but I'm going to give you some examples from the Bible. So the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. Is it upside down? I apologize. I can't tell. Like I said, I'm, I'm all over the place this morning. So, so let's, let's, let's take a couple stories, for example. Uh, here's a quick, easy one. So Lazarus gets sick. They come to Jesus, and they tell Jesus that Lazarus' friend is sick. Can you guys see it all? Lazarus is sick. Jesus says in, in the Gospels, he says, this sickness is not unto death. So we have the promise. The sickness is not unto death. Then Lazarus dies. <laughs> the complete opposite of what the promise was. You will not die. Lazarus will not die. He gives the word, and immediately he goes backwards. Four days later, four days later, they spend that much time behind the promise. And then finally, Jesus comes and heals Lazarus. You know the story. Raises him from the dead, fulfills the promise. So you can see right immediately, he gives the promise, and then it immediately goes backwards. How many of you have ever been there before? Jesus gives you a promise that this is going to happen, and then the first step forward is ten steps backwards away from the promise. So there's one quick example. Let's go with another, another example here. I tried to get a bigger whiteboard this weekend, but I didn't think of it till Saturday night, and so it didn't work out very well. So we got this little guy here. So you have Lazarus. Then, then let's, let's talk about the story of, let's, let's talk about the story of Abraham. Talk about a journey, right? So Abraham is actually given two promises, at the, in the very beginning. And this was before his name was Abraham. His name was Abram. So his first promise. So we're going to have two lines going here. So the first promise is God is going to give you a son. And he's going to make you the father of many nations. He's 70 years old. How many 70 year olds, 70 year olds out there are ready to have kids? So, I, yeah, I didn't think so. So he's, going to, he's promised to give him a son. The other promise we'll do down here was that he would inherit the land of Canaan, the promised land. In fact, the initial promise is he says, I'm going to give you a land that I will show you. He doesn't even tell him what the land's going to be, what it's going to look like, where it is. He just says, pack your stuff up. I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to, I'm going to give you a land called, well, he didn't say what it was. He said, I'm going to give you a land that I will eventually show you, but just pack your things up and just trust me and leave. And so he does. So there's the two promises that's given to Abraham. You're going to, be a, you're going to be a father of many nations, and you're going to inherit this land um, that I will eventually show you. So Abraham leaves, and uh, we can kind of put this one to rest a little bit uh, for a little while because he gives him this promise of a son, Abraham, 
and Sarah does not become pregnant. His wife doesn't become pregnant. So they kind of just stay right there on that promise. But he leaves. He goes to he goes a little on a little journey. And what happens is this one's kind of a, kind of amazing because he actually very quickly lands in Canaan. Abraham pretty quickly lands in Canaan. Now he doesn't own Canaan yet. He hasn't inherited it. The Bible says that he's living in somebody else's land, but he actually stepped into Canaan almost immediately. So I guess we couldn't put him all the way there yet, but he's almost there because he's actually in the land. He just doesn't own it yet. But then what happens? There's a famine in the land, and he has to completely leave Canaan and go completely backwards. So he was in Canaan. He didn't inherit it. He was in it, but then the famine comes, and he has to leave and go to Egypt. And all the same time, another few years goes by, still not pregnant yet. So uh, the, while they're in Egypt, he gets another promise from the Lord that reassures him. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation, and I'm going to give you this land. You're going to inherit it. And then he actually gives a little more detail. He tells him, he tells him that this is what the land's going to be. These are kind of the, te- this is the territory. He begins to tell him between the Euphrates River and some other places. He tells him, kind of gives him some parameters. So he tells him a little bit more about the promise. So he, you know, he comes out a little bit ahead because God gives him another promise. But still no baby. So they're still at phase one of the whole baby journey. He ends up going back into the land of Canaan and sets up another tent again there and lives in the land amongst all the foreigners, amongst all the people, still does not inherit the land, still doesn't have a baby. So let's fast forward several years. God actually reiterates the promise to Abraham, I think, four or five different times in Scripture. He tells him four or five different times that you will be a father of many nations and that you will inherit the land of Canaan. So at 99 years old, 90 nine years old, God goes and tells Abraham once again, he said, he gives him more specific promise. He said, by this time next year, your wife will be pregnant with the promise that I've given you. Your wife will be pregnant with Isaac. And so a year goes by. Abraham is a hundred years old, a hundred years old, finally inherits the promise, right? So So this long journey right here represents from 70 to 100 years old, finally inherits the promise that there was that gap there. Can you imagine what that gap would have been like for Abraham? Being told over and over again that you're going to be a father of many nations. Your wife is barren. She can't have kids. Even when she was younger, she was not able to have kids. But you will have kids. And uh, there's this huge gap between when he inherited the promise and then when he actually received the promise. Amen? So you can see this, this huge gap here. The thing with the promised land is this. Abraham actually died before he inherited the promise. He lived in the land of Canaan, but it was not his. He was promised that the land would be his, and he would inherit the land and it would be his descendants. And it actually, I'm not very good at diagrams, can you tell? Um, he actually wasn't until you had Abraham who was given the promise, and then he had Isaac who was given the promise. Isaac died without seeing it. Then he had Jacob who inherited the promise as well of the land of Canaan. Jacob died without inheriting it. And then you have this Jacob's whole 12 kids who eventually become the nation of Israel, 
who goes into captivity in Egypt for 400 and some odd years, eventually get brought out of Egypt and delivered, and then they spend another 40 years wandering in the desert. And then Joshua finally comes along and inherits Canaan, goes and, and, and conquers the land of Canaan, and finally the Israelites own Canaan. I, I'm not good at math, and I tried to figure it out, but you can imagine hundreds and hundreds of years between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. Is that encouraging or what? You, know? <laughs> yeah. you may die before you see the promise. No, but seriously, there's hundreds and hundreds of years, this gap between the promise and the fulfillment of the promise. In the middle of all of that, you had Joseph. I'm, I'm going to quit with the diagram because half of you can't see it anyways, and I'm not very good at drawing. So you have Joseph. Right? Joseph has two dreams. What are his dreams? Does anybody remember his dreams? He's going to be a ruler in a country. And so he has two dreams. He has two promises the Lord gives him to fulfill it. What happens? Well, one, Joseph wasn't very smart, and he begins to tell his brothers what his dream was. And, uh, you know, like good brothers, they, they don't like that. And so they do what any good brother would do. They throw him in a pit to die, right? <laughs> So they, they end up throwing him in a pit. So he gets these promise. He gets the promise and immediately gets thrown into a pit. And then it looks, it's looking up for him because one of his brothers starts walking back. He feels guilty and is going to pull him out of the pit. The bad news is, is the slave traders get to him before his brother could. So, so what, again, what was Joseph promised? That he would be a ruler, that he'd be, he would have a throne above other people, that he'd be a ruler. What's the first thing that happens to him? He gets sold into slavery. He gets sold into slavery. He's going to be a ruler, and then he gets sold into slavery immediately. So, if, you know, if I was drawing, it would be the promise, and then it would be that, you know, all the way back here again, that the opposite of what the Lord said actually took place. And then it gets a little bit better. He gets sold into Potiphar's house where he becomes uh, head over all of Potiphar's things. It said that the Lord gave him favor in Potiphar's house and that he became, he had authority over all of Potiphar's household. That, that the ranking was Potiphar and then it was Joseph. He was second in command over all of Potiphar's house. So it's, it's looking back up again. It's getting closer to his promise. He's in a place of authority. And then what happens? It says, it says in Genesis, it says that, that, that Joseph was uh, was handsome in both figure and looks. So not only did he have the face, he must have had the body too, right? So he looked good to Potiphar's wife. So Potiphar, many of you know the story, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph into committing adultery, and Joseph refused. But then Potiphar's wife framed Joseph. Obviously, Potiphar got upset about that and then threw him into prison. So once again, he goes back into the promise, he gets a little bit further, he is an authority, and then all of a sudden he gets thrown in prison and then goes back once again. He's in prison now, he's in slavery again, back into prison. So you can see the journey, how it goes back and forth, back and forth. So he's in prison, and he uh, has favor. The Bible says that God gives him favor once again with the jailer. And so he's, he's, he has favor with the jailer, and then these two guys in the jail have a dream. And Joseph interprets the dream. One of them is good. One of them is that the, the guy is a cupbearer to the king and that he will, um, 
he will uh, live and get to be restored back to the king, that he's going to be proven innocent and be restored back to the king. The other guy wasn't as lucky. He was going to be found guilty and then later hanged, right? He's, he dies, so that wasn't a good interpretation. But, but, you know, the one good thing happens is the cupbearer goes back to the king. And so Joseph tells the cupbearer, hey, when you get restored, don't forget about the little guys in jail, right? <laughs> don't forget about me. And the guy's like, don't worry. I will make sure you get out of prison. He goes back into the palace and forgets about Joseph. Great friend. That's how you should all be, a friendship right there. So he forgets about Joseph. A few years later, um, the king has his own dream, and nobody can interpret it. And the cupbearer remembers Joseph all of a sudden. Oh, hey, I actually know a guy that might be able to help you. So, again, great friend, right? He's, he's real reliable. So he tells the king that about Joseph, and so the, the, or the Pharaoh, actually, which is the king, the Pharaoh comes, uh, brings Joseph out of the prison, and Joseph is able to interpret the dream, ends up making Joseph head over all of Egypt under Pharaoh. So the fulfillment of the promise. He becomes second in command only under Pharaoh himself. So you can see here, all, I, I skipped a lot of things, but you can see here the process, the gap, the journey between the promise and the fulfillment. When God says something and then when it actually happens, there's a gap. How many of you have been in the gap? How many of you are still in the gap? Yeah, there's a gap between the fulfillment and the promise. So let's talk about that gap a little bit. Go ahead and show me my, my first scripture there, Chad. Hebrews 3, verse 18. Oh, well, I'm sorry, verse 16. So it says this. It says the same people. This is talking about Moses and the Israelites. You want to talk about a gap. There's one right there. So Moses brings the Israelites out from Egypt. And again, this is actually part of the fulfillment of Abraham's promise that they were going to inherit the land of Canaan, the promised land. And so Moses brings them out of Egypt and is going to take them into the promised land. And, and there's that gap there between Egypt and the promised land was that 40 years of wandering in the desert. Okay, So that's what we're, going to, what we're going to talk about is that 40 years. So it says here in verse 16, it's talking about the Israelites in this journey. It says, The same people who were delivered from bondage and brought out of Egypt by Moses were the ones who heard and still rebelled. They grieved God for 40 years by sinning in unbelief until they dropped dead in the desert. So God swore an oath that they would never enter into his calming place of rest, all because they disobeyed him. It is clear that they could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. Here's the thing about the gap. The gap does one or two things to people. It does one or two things. Either one, in the middle of the gap, you cling to the promise, you cling to the faithfulness of God, and you persevere through the gap. Or you lose faith, you develop unbelief, and you let go of the promise entirely. And then what ends up happening? You die in the gap. 
That's what happens. One of two things happens in the gap. You either cling and persevere in faith, or you let go and you die in the gap. And this is, this is a picture of what happened to the Israelites. The Israelites were interesting people. They, they witnessed, in their deliverance from Egypt, they witnessed the plagues that God sent. They witnessed the parting of the Red Sea, where they walked through on dry ground. And literally three days after they witnessed all of that, they were already grumbling and complaining because they had inherited the land that Moses had told them about. They had inherited the promise. Three days, and that's what it says here, they witnessed all of these incredible things. They heard the promise for themselves. They saw God do incredible things, yet they still had unbelief and disobedience in their heart just three days after they walked through the Red Sea. Just three days. And it says here, it, do you realize, an entire generation of people besides Caleb and Joshua, an entire generation had to die before they could inherit their promise because of unbelief, because they lacked faith that the God who promised them would be, be able to fulfill his promise. And here's the thing about the gap. The gap is actually for us. Okay? The gap is actually for our benefit. And why, why is that? Can you imagine if the Israelites had inherited the promise right away? Can you imagine what their faith in God would have been like if they would have walked right out of Egypt and walked right into the land flowing with milk and honey and grapes the size of your head, right? What would have happened to them? They would have completely abandoned the God who delivered them into it. If they were grumbling after three days of walking in the desert, imagine what would have happened if they would have inherited the land right away. It reminds me of of the boat Christian, right? The Christian who, who, who uh, for those of you who have a boat, I'm not necessarily saying this is you, Mimi and Papal, but um, I'm just kidding. It reminds me of the boat Christian. So the boat Christian is the one who, who thanks God because they were able to get a boat, afford a boat, and then they never again serve God because they're too busy on Sunday afternoon swimming on their boat or running around on their boat, right? They completely forget the one who blessed them with the boat. That's what happened here with Israel. If they would have inherited the promise, they would have immediately forgot the one who delivered them out of the promise. So what does the gap do? The gap does this. The gap kills off bad attitudes. It kills off wrong mindsets. It kills off arrogance. It kills off pride. And it kills off maybe even bad influences that, that you have around you. So the gap... The purpose of the gap, the purpose of the space between is to basically to rid you of all of the things that would keep you from the inheritance, the fullness of the inheritance. Does that make sense? So to keep you from inheriting the fullness of the inheritance is what the gap is actually for. That the Lord is wanting to work off of you things when you're in the middle of the gap in between the promise and the fulfillment. Here's the thing. That just because God promised it does not mean that you will be the one to inherit it. 
that the gap determines what you do in the gap will determine what happens with the fulfillment. Again, and you can see this right here in Scripture, the promise to the Israelites was that they would inherit the land of promise, the promised land, the land of Canaan. The promise was that they would inherit it, yet generation, an entire generation, died in the 40-year span in the gap and never inherited the promise because they were unable to grasp hold of faith. They were unable to grasp hold of faith. They could have been eating grapes and drinking the milk flowing like the milk uh, and honey flowing or however you say it. But instead, they were eating manna in the desert. And they couldn't get past the test, the things God was trying to break off of them. And therefore, they never inherited the promise because they were unable to grasp hold of faith. So what you do in the gap determines if, whether or not you will actually inherit the promise. I, when, I, when I apply this uh, to what I'm believing for this church, I believe that the Lord has us in a gap even right now. When I think of the promise that Elwood will be fully given over to the Lord, what are we going to do with that promise? What are we going to do when we've gotten the promise, but we're still seeing the poverty, we're still seeing the drugs, we're still seeing all of these things, what are we going to do between the promise and the fulfillment? Because the, what we do in that gap will determine everything. What are we going to do in the gap between cancer-free and non-cancer-free right now? What are we going to do in that gap? Are we going to cling hold in faith, or are we going to let go? What we do in the gap matters. What we do in the gap matters. And, and next, I think next week we're going to talk more about that. How do, what, what do you do in the gap? But this week, my main focus this morning is this, is just to show us, to prove the point that there is a gap between the promise and the fulfillment, and that in the middle of that gap, we have to cling hold of faith. And here's how we do that. That we don't look at the reality of the situation. And we do what I talked about last week. We look at the one who made the promise. That he is faithful to complete everything that he has promised us. And that when we get our eyes off of what we're seeing in the middle, that Lazarus is dead, we get our eyes off of that and realize who made the promise. We realize that he can take any hopeless situation and turn it around and fulfill the inheritance that he has promised us. And one last thing before I close this morning, I want to show you. It says, it says this, it says in verse 18, it says, so God swore an oath that they would never enter into what? Enter into his calming place of rest, all because they disobeyed him. And then it says this in verse 4, or chapter 4, verse 1. It says, now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of resting in confident faith. I thought this was interesting right here, that there is a rest, not when you inherit the promise, but in the gap. When Lazarus dies, when Potiphar makes false accusations against you and you end up back in prison, when your brothers throw you into slavery, that in the middle of the gap, 
there can actually be a confident rest, a, 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 uh, enter into this realm of rest in between the gap before you actually inherit the promise. And it says that the Israelites were unable to walk in that rest because of what? What does it say? Because of unbelief. But then it says in verse 1 of chapter 4, it says, Now God has offered to us the same promise of entering into his realm of rest. And how do we find that realm of rest? It says, in confident faith. That when we get our eyes off the situation and onto the one who has promised, made the promise, that there is actually a place of rest in that. That the gap doesn't have to, even though, like Casey showed us, even though the gap can be all over the place, we don't have to walk through the gap in, in turmoil and in doubt and in unbelief and in chaos. We can walk through the gap in confident faith because our eyes are not on the situation. Our eyes are on the one who made the promise. Amen? That is what faith looks like. That's what it looks like to be in the gap. Yes, there's a gap. There's a space between when he says it and when he does it, and we don't know where we're at in the middle of that. Some of us, you may be right there on the breaking point where the promise is about to happen. And some of us, we may be just getting started. But that in the middle of that, we don't have to be in chaos, that we can have a rest as we place our faith in the one who made the promise. Amen? That he is, uh, that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy, and that he is dependable. Amen? All right, let me pray for you this morning. Jesus, thank you once again, God, for, for this congregation. Thank you, Jesus, for your promises, God, both to us corporately and also, Lord, to us individually, Father. God, right now, I pray for those who are in that gap, Jesus, that are in that season, Lord, where you've said it and we haven't seen a fulfillment yet. Father, I pray that in the middle of that gap that there would just be a supernatural rest, God, that as we place our faith fully in you, Jesus, God, that we would experience that rest in the middle of the gap. God, that our faith would not waver, Jesus. God, that we would not be like the Israelites, that we would, uh, that we would be an unbelief, Father. But God, that our faith would, be, would, would just be strong and would not be wavering, Father. But God, as we look to you, that we would be just confident in who you are and that you are able and willing to complete the promise that you have given us, Jesus. God, we honor you, Father. We love you so much. In Jesus' name.